From thence, Chinggis Khan proceeded to Bakara, and in the beginning of Muharram, he encamped before the gates of the citadel. And his troops were more numerous than ants or locusts, being in their multitude beyond estimation or computation. Detachment after detachment arrived, each like a billowing sea, and encamped round about the town. At sunrise, twenty thousand men from the Sultan's auxiliary army issued forth from the citadel, together with most of the inhabitants, being commanded by Kok Khan. Kok Khan was said to be a Mongol, and to have fled from Chinggis Khan and joined the Sultan. When these forces reached the banks of the Oxus, the patrols and advance parties of the Mongol army fell upon them, and left no trace of them. On the following day, when from the reflection of the sun, the plain seemed to be a tray filled with blood, the people of Bokhara opened their gates and closed the door of strife and battle. The imams and notables came on a deputation to Chinggis Khan, who entered to inspect the town and the citadel. He rode into the Friday mosque and pulled up before the Maksura, whereupon his son Tolly dismounted and ascended the pulpit. Chinggis Khan asked those present whether this was the palace of the Sultan. They replied that it was the house of God. Then he too got down from his horse, and mounting two or three steps of the pulpit, he exclaimed, The countryside is empty of fodder. Fill our horses' bellies. Whereupon they opened all the magazines in the town and began carrying off the grain. And they brought the cases in which the Qurans were kept out into the courtyard of the mosque, where they cast the Qurans left and right and turned the cases into mangers for their horses. After which they circulated cups of wine and sent for the singing girls of the town to sing and dance for them, while the Mongols raised their voices to the tunes of their own songs. When Chinggis Khan left the town, he went to the festival Musala and mounted the pulpit, and, the people having been assembled, he asked which were the wealthy among them. Two hundred and eighty persons were designated, a hundred and ninety of them being natives of the town and the rest strangers. He then began a speech in which, after describing the resistance and treachery of the Sultan, he addressed them as follows. O oh, people, know that you have committed great sins, and that the great ones among you have committed these sins. If you ask me what proof I have for these words, I say it is because I am the punishment of God. If you had not committed great sins, God would not have sent a punishment like me upon you.
for some years, I continued averse from mentioning this event, deeming it so horrible that I shrank from recording it and ever withdrawing one foot as I advanced the other. To whom, indeed, can it be easy to write the announcement of the death blow of Islam and the Muslims? Or who is he on whom the remembrance thereof can weigh lightly? Oh, would that my mother had not borne me, or that I had died and become a forgotten thing ere this befell. Yet, withal, a number of my friends urged me to set it down in writing. I say, therefore, that this thing involves the description of the greatest catastrophe and the most dire calamity which befell all men generally, and the Muslims in particular. For even Antichrist will spare such as follow him, though he destroy those who oppose him. But these Tatars spared none, slaying women and men and children, killing unborn babies. For these were a people who emerged from the confines of China and attacked the cities of Turkestan, like Kashgar and, and Balasagun, and then advanced on the cities of Transoxiana, such as Samarkand, Bukhara, and the like, taking possession of them and treating their inhabitants in such wise as we shall mention. All this they did in the briefest space of time, remaining only for so long as their march required, and no more. Moreover, they need no commissariat, nor the conveyance of supplies, for they have with them sheep, cows, horses, and, and the like quadrupeds, the flesh of which they eat, naught else. As for their beasts which they ride, these dig into the earth with their hooves, and eat the roots of plants, knowing naught of barley. And so, when they alight anywhere, they have need of nothing from without. As for their religion, they worship the sun when it rises, and regard nothing as unlawful. Stories have been related to me which the hearer can scarcely credit as to the terror of the Tartars, which God Almighty cast into men's hearts, so that it is said that a single one of them would enter a village or a quarter wherein there were many people, and would continue to slay them one after another, none daring to stretch forth his hand against this horseman. And I have heard that one of them took a man captive, but had not with him any weapon wherewith to kill him. And he said to his prisoner, Lay your head on the ground, and do not move. And he did so. And the Tartar went and fetched his sword, and, and slew him therewith. Now Hulagu commanded all those subject to him to go against the Tachik capital, Baghdad, which was the seat of the Tachik dominion. The king who sat in Baghdad was not called Sultan or Melik, as the Turkish, Iranian or Kurdish autocrats customarily are, but Caliph that is, a descendant of Mahmet. The great Hulagu went against the Caliph with a countless multitude composed of all the peoples subject to him. This was done in the autumn and winter seasons because of the severe heat of that country in the summer. 
prior to his departure, he ordered Baiju Noyin and the troops with him in the land of the Sultan of Rum to go and surround the great Tigris River on which the city of Baghdad was built, so that no one could flee by boat from the city or to the more secure Basra. They immediately obeyed the command, tying pontoon bridges across the great river and sinking between the river and its bed sturdy fences with iron hooks and pipes so that no one could depart the city swimming without them knowing about it. Now the caliph, who resided in the city, proudly and presumptuously sent many troops against those guarding the river. They were under the command of a chief named Dabat-Dar, Ostakan of his house. Dabat-Dar went and first triumphed, killing some three thousand Tatars. When evening fell, he sat, eating and drinking, without a care, and he sent messages to the caliph, saying, I defeated all of them, and tomorrow I will do away with the few survivors. Now, the crafty and ingenious Tatar army spent the entire night arming and organizing. They surrounded the Tajik army. At daybreak, they put their swords to work, destroying the entire group and throwing them into the river. Only a few men escaped. That same morning, the great Hulagu surrounded the city of Baghdad, stationing everyone at arm's length from the wall and telling them to demolish it and guard well that no one escape. He sent valiant emissaries to the Caliph so that he would come out obediently and pay taxes to the Khan. The Caliph gave a stern reply, full of insults, claiming to be lord of sea and land. You are a dog, a Turk. Why should I pay taxes to you or obey you? However, Hulagu did not become aggrieved because of the insults, nor did he write any boasts. He merely said, God knows what he does. Then he ordered the wall demolished, and they demolished it. He said to rebuild it again and guard it carefully, and they did so. The city was full of soldiers and people. For seven days they stood on the walls, but no one shot arrows at them, nor were swords used either by the citizens or by the Tatar soldiers. But after seven days, the citizens began to request peace and to come to Hulagu with affection and submission. And Hulagu ordered that this be done, that peace be made. Then. Countless multitudes came through the city gates, climbing over each other to see who would reach him first. Hulagu divided up among the soldiers, those who came out, and ordered the soldiers to take them far from the city and to kill them secretly, so that the others would not know. They killed all of them. Four days later, the Caliph also emerged with his two sons, with all the grandees and much gold, silver and precious stones as fitting gifts for Hulagu and his nobles. At first, Hulagu honoured him, reproaching him for dallying and not coming to him quickly. But then he asked the Caliph, What are you, God or man? And the Caliph responded, I am a man and a servant of God. Hulagu asked, Well, did God tell you to insult me and to call me a dog and to not give food and drink to God's dog? Now in hunger, the dog of God shall devour you. 
and he killed him with his own hands. That, he said, is an honor for you, because I killed you myself and did not give you to another for killing. He ordered his own son to slay one of the caliph's sons, while he gave the other son as a sacrifice to the Tigris River, saying, It did not harm us, but was our collaborator in killing the senseless ones. Hulagu then ordered the troops guarding the walls to descend and kill the inhabitants of the city, great and small. The Mongols organized as though harvesting a field and cut down countless innumerable multitudes of men, women and children. For forty days they did not stop. Then they grew weary and stopped killing. Their hands grew tired. They took the others for sale. They destroyed mercilessly. Hulagu ordered all his soldiers to take the goods and property of the city. They all loaded up with gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, and costly garments, for it was an extremely rich city, unequaled on earth.